Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you are big enough to handle the big questions in life. As we think today on issues of justice and suffering, we pray that your spirit would help me to preach your word uh, faithfully and clearly. And we pray that your spirit may illuminate our hearts and minds and strengthen our faith in the Lord Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Waiting for justice. Waiting for justice. We were reminded last week that injustice is a sad but endemic feature of our world. Uh, injustice is where a person or group or nation is treated unfairly at the expense of others that are more powerful and influential. We've seen injustice with the distribution of the COVID-19 vaccines, where only 2% of the low-income countries have even received their first dose, whereas developed countries are already rolling, rolling out booster shots. We've seen injustice with climate change, uh, which is predominantly caused by uh, the developed nations, but it is the poor nations that suffer the greatest consequences. We experience injustice on a personal level too, where one race is prioritised over another, where, where corruption goes unpunished, where scammers cheat people out of their savings. As Brian reminded us last week, injustice makes our blood boil and it makes us feel very deflated and discouraged. It makes us cry out to God, how long? Uh, when will you come in judgment? When will you set things straight, sort out all of the evil? But many times, prayers we do, things don't seem to change. In fact, if anything, they seem to get worse. Now, some of us may feel that way about politics or about the situation in our workplace. We ask, why, Lord? Why do you allow this evil to flourish? Why don't you answer my prayers now? When will you finally put an end to injustice and bring perfect justice on this earth? Well, that is the big question of the book of Habakkuk. And we saw last week that the prophet Habakkuk was writing uh, somewhere between 640 and 615 BC, just before Judah was exiled by the Babylonians. And uh, Habakkuk was troubled because as he looked on the nation of Israel, it seemed like God was doing nothing about their evil. It seemed like his eyes were closed. Habakkuk cried out, how long and why? And in verses 5 to 11 of chapter 1, we saw God's rather surprising answer. He would use the Chaldeans, the Babylonian nation, to judge God's people. It was shocking because they were a cruel and wicked nation that was far more evil than Judah themselves were. Now, Babylon was proud, arrogant, violent, merciless, greedy. And yet God said he would use them to judge his own people for their wickedness. And God's shocking response led to a second complaint by Habakkuk in uh, chapter 1, verse 12, to chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk cried out, How can you use the evil Babylonians for your purposes? God, you are so pure, so just, so how can you tolerate the wickedness of the Babylonians? And, and not just tolerate it, but use it to achieve your own purposes against your people. It's just unjust. And in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk waits in faith for God's response. 
Look at verse 1. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And in today's passage, we're given God's second answer. In short, in his perfect timing, God will bring perfect justice. His people will live. His enemies will fall. But not now. Only at the end. Well, let's begin uh, point one, the timing of perfect justice, the timing of perfect justice. And in answer to Habakkuk's question of how long, when will you bring perfect justice? God's answer is at the end. Look at verse two. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Now, firstly, notice that God in his grace answers Habakkuk's prayer. He didn't have to do that, but he did. And we have the same promise as we bring our complaints and concerns to God as well. That doesn't mean that God's going to answer us with an audible voice from heaven or a still small voice in our ears. But in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, we're told that God always hears our prayers and he always answers according to his will. So whenever we're concerned about, we can pray to him with confidence and hope and know he will answer us. Well, secondly, in his answer, we're reminded that God is sovereignly in control of human history. Now, events may not be unfolding as Habakkuk would like, or indeed as we would like in our own lives. But they are exactly according to the sovereign plan of God. We're told here God has a sovereign end that he is working all human history towards. And nothing is random. Nothing is out of control. And that ought to be a great comfort to us when we do face suffering or injustice. It's all going to God's good end. Well, God is saying to Habakkuk that the judgment of Judah through the Babylonians will not be the end of the story. There is more to the story that hasn't yet been told yet. God's perfect justice will come. But it wouldn't be now. And it wouldn't be soon. It would be at the end. The visions to be written on tablets so that it can stand the test of time. And so Habakkuk is forced to wait in faith, to wait for God's purposes to arrive. He must trust God that a delay doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. It will happen in God's time, exactly as he has said. And God assures Habakkuk that such humble, patient, waiting faith will lead to life in the end. Remember Habakkuk had asked in chapter 1, verse 13, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? And in verse 4, God gives his answer. Look at verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Babylon, proud, 
self-sufficient. She revels in her power. She feels invincible and untouchable, the very opposite of humble faith. But God assures Habakkuk, those who are, of, who are righteous by faith, they shall live. Faith will triumph, not Babylon. And God's eyes are not blind to her arrogance and wickedness, and he will not idly look on forever. Now, verse 5, God says, Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he, never, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Babylon is intoxicated, as if with wine. Not really with wine. It's, it's, it's that her victories have gone to her head. She is intoxicated, full of arrogance. She just needs more and more. She needs to keep feeding this insatiable desire for more and more, to conquer the next nation, to collect more spoils. Babylon is addicted to victory and growing greater and greater and more glorious. Like the grave, not resting till it conquers every person. So Babylon must conquer every nation. But this verse tells us wine is a traitor. This arrogant, greedy addiction for more will in the end lead to Babylon's downfall. And in verses 6 to 20, God pronounces his coming judgment upon them. So the timing of perfect justice at the end, the nature of perfect justice, point to the nature of perfect justice. Justice. And in verses 6 to 20, we're given a series of five taunts or woes against Babylon. That's introduced in verse 6. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say... Now, a taunt, uh, it means to, to ridicule, ridicule someone, to, to scorn, to, to laugh at the downfall of another person. Uh, and you'll notice in the five taunts that follow, each begins with the word woe. Uh, that was a word that was uh, typically used in funeral dirges. You know, uh, alas, how could this have happened? However invincible Babylon looked, uh, God would bring her down. Her funeral was coming. Now, in each woe, we're told the crime, and then we're told the punishment. And the nations celebrate that God will inflict on Babylon the very things she has inflicted on them. That principle, getting what you give, it goes all the way back to the start of the Bible. Genesis 9 verse 6, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Uh, it's what we call retributive justice. Getting what you give, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, to use the language of Deuteronomy. Uh, that's what true justice is about. It's about getting what you deserve, isn't it? True justice is being judged according to your works, in like manner. Not more, not less. Habakkuk has complained. How can God overlook their evil? And God replies in these verses, He sees it all. It's all accounted for. And in the end, it will get exactly what it deserves. 
Well, the first woe is in verse 6, and the sin is the sin of stealing. Verse 6, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. The picture here is perhaps of the loan shark cheating people and stealing money from them through fraud and extortion. Uh, that's a bit like what Babylon did, taking over countries that weren't theirs by military force and then requiring them to pay, uh, to pay tributes to them uh, even more. Now, verses 7 to 8, we see the punishment. They who plundered others will themselves be plundered. Verse 7, will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. You see, God says the punishment for Babylon will fit the crime. Those who have been violently plundered and oppressed by the Babylonians will arise against their oppressor and make sure Babylon pays every last cent. They will reap what they have sown. They will get what they have given. The plunderer will be plundered. You see, God will ensure that those who steal won't get away with it in the end. But don't think that you can steal and cheat from your company, from your clients, from your parents, from your family. And no one will know. Nothing will happen. God knows. God sees. There will be perfect justice in the end. In verse 9, we have the second woe. Now, the sin, this time, is exploiting others unjustly. Look at verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. Now, the Babylonians sought unjust gain as they conquered the nations and brought all the wealth back to Babylon. Uh, historians tell us that around Babylon they built a wall with 100 gates. The wall was thick enough for a four-horse chariot to ride around on it. They thought all these ill-gotten gains that they brought back to Babylon would make them secure. The city would stand forever. But they were wrong. In verses 10 to 11, we see the punishment that will come for their exploitation. They will be shamed. Their security will be lost. Their house, their city will be destroyed. Verse 10, you have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork. Respond. See, instead of security and safety, the Babylonian kingdom will fall. Their house will be shamed, their lives will be lost. Even the walls of the city will cry out regarding their injustice and their violence. After all, it was built with the wealth of battle. That's the same for us. There is no security in sin. God sees our sin. God calls it to account. Often we, we, we ourselves, we search for security in, in money and careers and, and family and perhaps sometimes we're willing to cut corners to do some dodgy deals to get the money in more quickly. But as the Pandora Papers have recently exposed, 
You can make money unjustly, but your sin will be exposed in the end. If not now, God sees, and it will bring your downfall. Verse 12, we see the third woe, and the sin this time is violence. Verse 12, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Babylon was built by force. They violently conquered the nations. Atrocities were committed to maintain public order. It seemed effective. It was folly. Because the Lord saw their violence. And the Lord would bring perfect justice. What they gave, they would get. Their own cities that they built would be burnt with fire. Look at verse 13. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts? that peoples labour merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. All their work would be nothing. It would, it would just become fuel for the fire of God's judgment. The violence they perpetrated would come back upon them. As the Lord of hosts, the warrior God who commands the armies of heaven, would bring upon Babylon exactly what they had inflicted on others. In their arrogance, they had used others for their glory. But it would be futile. They would be shamed in the end. God would ensure only he was glorified, not them. Verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Do you see, in the end, human arrogance will not succeed. In the end... Only God will triumph. Only God will be glorified. Only God will be known and served among all the nations. Not Babylon. Not any human civilization. Not any individual. Isaiah himself had prophesied so. Isaiah 2 verse 17. The haughtiness of man shall be humbled. And the lofty pride of men shall be brought low. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Now that, that glorious promise that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters covered the sea, that day would begin as the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth 2,000 years ago. Remember John chapter 1 verse 14. That the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. As Jesus Christ came down from heaven, God in human flesh, he showed God in all of his glory. And right now, God's glory is being made known to the ends of the earth as we preach the gospel of the crucified Christ. And that will continue. Day by day as we share the gospel with family and friends and neighbours and those around us until finally Jesus returns. The judgment day arrives. We're told Philippians 2 verse 11 on that day at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And on that day, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. There'll be no more Babylon. No more proud people who exalt themselves against God and his people. 
God and his son will be glorified alone on that day. Well, the fourth woe is in verses 15 to 17. The sin this time is debauchery. Verse 15, Woe to him who makes his neighbours drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. Now, this verse is not so much talking about literal drinking of alcohol. Now, what they've forced their neighbours to drink, to get drunk on, is their wrath. Which they, have, which they have poured out in full measure as they've come in these military conquests. They've poured out the, the, the wrath of their anger until they're staggered and they're exposed, until their cities are destroyed, their armies are killed. They've, they're shamed by their destruction. As they're left desolate and humiliated and, and naked. And God says... In his perfect justice, he's seen it, and he will do the very same to them. Verse 16, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them, for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. God will fill Babylon with shame, just as they did to others. God will pour out the cup of his wrath for them to drink as they gave it to others. God will reverse their nakedness and shame as they shamed others. And they will be overwhelmed by exactly the kind of violence that they perpetrated to others, whether man or beast or the earth itself. Well, the final woe is in verses 18 to 20, and the sin is idolatry. Look at verse 18. Now, what prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake! To a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver, and there's no breath at all in it. Now Babylon had resorted to idols to empower their, their violence and exploitation and military conquest. And God says, what folly for a human being to create their own God. It might look impressive, covered with gold or silver, but when all is said and done, it's just wooden stone. They're not alive. They, they won't wake up. They're powerless. They're speechless. They're lifeless. Contrast that to the true God, verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, he is the one true God, ruling from his temple in Jerusalem. Not just the God of Israel, but, but, but the God of the ends of the earth. All the earth will keep silence before him. Idols are silent because they're lifeless and they cannot speak. But God is not silent. God speaks through his prophets. God directs human history. God pronounces his judgment. God will bring perfect justice. 
And God will do that not only for his own people, but even on nations like the Babylonians. And before God's majesty, before God's judgment throne, all must be silent. They will be forced to acknowledge that he is the one true God. And as they stand before him in silence, justice will be done and be seen to be done not only among God's people, but in every nation of the world, God will bring his perfect justice as he treats us according to what we have done. How could God use a more wicked nation to punish a less wicked nation? How could God, who is morally pure, use an evil, an evil nation, evil people, for his purposes? Well, in here in Habakkuk 2, God gives his answer. Justice will be done in the end. He sees all evil and he will bring retributive justice. He will judge people according to what they have done. He will bring their deeds upon their own head. Not now, but at the end. Well, just as God promised, so it did happen for Babylon. It took some time. Babylon did indeed take Judah into exile, according to this prophecy. And 50 years later, as God tells us here, they themselves were defeated by the Persians. The seemingly invincible city of Babylon was overthrown, according to the word of the Lord. And God's perfect justice was done. But of course, God's judgment on Babylon points us forward to an even greater judgment to come. Now, the New Testament tells us that there is a final judgment day at the very end of time. A day when, when all people will stand before God's judgment throne to give account for their lives. And God will bring his perfect justice, judging us according to our deeds. Romans 2 tells us how God will judge us on that day. Verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honour and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. See what that's saying? On judgment day, God will bring perfect justice. As he judges each one of us according to our deeds, without partiality, the righteous, the good, will receive eternal life. The evil the disobedient will receive wrath and fury. That's just. That's right. God will bring his perfect justice. Except, of course, if we are to read on in the book of Romans, we should realise that that leaves us with a huge problem. Because if God was to bring perfect justice, judging each person according to their deeds... Well, he must punish all evil. And that includes not just the evil of people out there, the evil of people like the Babylonians. 
evil that we see on the news. He must judge the evil in our hearts, in our lives. Our arrogance, our greed, our stealing, our violence, our exploitation, our idolatry. And Romans 3 would have us understand that we're, we're actually not in the righteous category. We're not in the good category. We can't earn our way to heaven by our own good works, by our own moral and religious effort, as if if I went to church enough and read my Bible enough and gave enough money to ministry and served enough times that that, that will get me my ticket into heaven. No. Romans 3 tells us we all rightly belong, not in the good category, the righteous category, but in the evil category. We deserve God's righteous wrath for our sins. Look at Romans 3 verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. See how that echoes Romans chapter 2 we just read. He's saying there's no one in the good category. There's no one in the righteous category. We've all turned aside. We're all sinful. And therefore, on the judgment day, when God judges according to our works, we will all be silent before his judgment throne. Because we'll all be condemned. Romans 3.19 says every mouth will be stopped. The whole world held accountable to God. There'll be nothing to stay. No defense. No excuses. No escape. We will be as silent because God will be perfectly just. He will destine us to eternal conscious torment away from his presence in the place Jesus called hell. That's perfect justice at the end. But of course, praise God, that's not the end of the story. On that day, there is still hope that we may stand. There is still hope that we may be saved, not not through our own works, but by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, come back with me now to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Remember what God said. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. On judgment day, the arrogant wicked will be destroyed. But those who are righteous by faith, well, they will live. It was this glorious verse uh, quoted in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 that God used to help Martin Luther to understand the gospel at a time when it had really been lost. It was through this verse that that Martin Luther understood that we can never earn our way to heaven through our works because God will judge us with perfect justice and none of us can or ever will be good enough for God. But he understood from this verse when we put our faith in Jesus God declares us righteous in his sight. On the cross, Jesus takes our sin, 
Jesus drinks the cup of God's wrath for us. Jesus experiences God's righteous judgment on our arrogance and greed and violence and idolatry in our place. And in return, he gives us his perfect righteousness. He gives us forgiveness. It's the, it's the ultimate display of God's sovereignty over evil, using it for good as the death of Jesus brings about the salvation of the world. Do you see, for those who trust in Jesus' death on the cross, their sins are forgiven. They're saved from God's wrath. They're declared righteous in his sight, no longer to fear his judgment, but to look forward in hope for the return of Jesus to be welcomed into his glorious kingdom. Let me read Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, or from beginning to end by faith, as it is written, Habakkuk 2 verse 4, the righteous shall live by faith. See, it's through the cross that God's perfect righteousness and justice is manifest and seen. At the cross, we see God's absolute commitment to punish all evil as it deserves, even if it must be borne by his own son in our place. And God doesn't just forgive us and say sin doesn't matter. No, sin must be punished. Justice must be done. And at the cross it is done as Jesus bears our sin. And yet, of course, at the same time, the cross shows us God's absolute commitment to save his people who trust in him, to fulfill his promises, to pour out his grace. And so, just as the cross displays in the ultimate way, God's sovereignty over evil, using evil for his good purposes. At the same time, it shows God's commitment to hold evil to account. And so at the cross, God shows that even as he could use the suffering of Jesus to save the world, he's also able to use sinful, flawed proud, greedy, arrogant people like us too. Because as we come to the cross in faith, God humbles our pride. God transforms our heart as we come to the cross in faith, acknowledging our sins, acknowledging our unworthiness of God's love and favour, recognising our deserving of God's judgment. As the cross humbles us, we are transformed so that we no longer live for self. We no longer live for our own glory. We no longer use other people for our own benefit. We no longer look for the things of this world for security. We no longer pursue the things of this world in an endless quest for more to build ourselves up. But having put our faith in Christ and his cross, we live for God's glory. We serve God's kingdom. We strive to live righteous lives by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We wait for his return to bring the perfect justice for which we long.
And so the Christian life begins with faith in Jesus and his cross. And it continues by faith in Jesus and his cross. God gave Habakkuk a vision of the end. And he told him to wait in faith. To trust in God's good purposes. To wait for his perfect justice. Even if it wouldn't be right now. And so this morning God calls on each one of us to wait in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's true, just like Habakkuk, we live in a world that is full of evil, full of injustice. We live in a world that hates Jesus, that opposes his people, that worships idols in his place. As Christians, so often we're marginalised, we're mocked, we're rejected. And if recent politics are anything to go by, a life for Christians in Malaysia seems destined to become harder still in the years ahead. We long for justice. We long for God to right the wrongs, to punish evil. It never seems to happen now, as much as we pray otherwise. But Habakkuk 2 reminds us, God has not fallen asleep. He has not forgotten his people. He will not tolerate evil forever. He will bring perfect justice when Jesus returns. Evil will get what it deserves. In fact, at the end of the Bible, Revelation 17, Babylon becomes the symbol for wicked humanity gathered together in arrogant rebellion against God. And in Revelation 18, we see a vision of the downfall of Babylon. The angels cry out, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, verse 2. God has remembered her iniquities, verse 5. Repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed, verse 6. As she burns, the nations weep as they cry out, alas, alas, or woe, woe, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon. In a single hour, your judgment has come. And then in Revelation 19, the great multitude of heaven cries out in praise to Almighty God. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. You see, when Jesus returns, God's perfect justice arrives, and we will celebrate. Hallelujah! God is true and just. God has saved his people. God has judged evil. God's perfect justice will arrive at the end. But now, we must wait in faith. We must trust in God's promises. We must live for Jesus, waiting for the perfect justice to come. And so as we close, let me say to you, do not despair when you see injustice and wickedness in this world. And do not doubt 
as if God will do nothing about suffering in our world. And don't be tempted, therefore, to join our world in its arrogant, greedy pursuit of glory and power for self, for security in the things of this world. Habakkuk 2 reminds us it won't work. You will get what you have given. Habakkuk 2 verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we want to praise you that you are sovereign over all of human history. Not only are you able to use evil for your good purposes, but you will bring perfect justice in the end. We praise you that you are not only the righteous God who brings perfect justice, but you are the gracious and compassionate God who sent your Son to die for us, that all who put their faith in him would be saved. So, Lord, help us to live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust in his death alone to save us, not our own good works, to wait for him patiently, to return, to bring the perfect justice that we long for. Until he comes back, help us, Lord, to keep living for you and your glory, your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.